Oh, this is going to be a good one. You're listening to Pete the Planner. This week on the Pete the Planner Show, we answer your money questions. You can get them to us various ways. The most traditional is a carrier pigeon, or the alternative is ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com, which is an electronic mail address, and you can submit your questions that way. Ask Pete at PeteThePlanner.com. Here's how the show works. It's me, Peter Dunn, Pete the Planner, Peter Nicholas Dunn, and Damian Dunn, Damian Andrew Dunn, dad, as the people call him. He's right there. I'm right here. And uh, we answer your questions. There's no catch. We have nothing to sell you. We just want to give you answers. And you move on with your life. We move on with our lives. The first question this week is, Hi, Pete. I currently have two... Bo- oh, hi, Dame. Hey, Pete. Hi, Pete. I currently have two... The emailer just said that. Yeah. I currently have two boys under three years old. One will be a special needs child as he has a developmental disability. The other has moderate hearing loss. My wife and I are currently putting $500 a month into a 529 plan for them, but was curious about an ABLE, A-B-L-E plan, as it seems. Uh, I can use those funds for more than education as they get older. I've only learned about the ABLE plan recently and wonder if it was a better vehicle going forward for my boys because hearing aids and therapists aren't cheap. So this is from Vince. Yeah. Dame ABLE plans, they have some uh, similar qualities to them as 529. They do. Uh, the biggest similarity to a traditional 529 education saving account, college saving account, is that you put money in, it grows tax deferred, and if it's used for a qualified expense, it can be used tax free. Okay. Now, a 529 ABLE account has the advantage of having a much wider range of things that can be considered a qualified withdrawal. Sure. So um, education does happen to be one of the things that is qualified for a 529 ABLE account. So are you accomplishing the same thing uh, by a 529, a traditional 529 account and a 529 ABLE? Not necessarily because you have a much greater depth of things that you can uh, use a 529 ABLE account. There are some catches that come along with a 529 ABLE account. Before you get to those catches, can I name some of the expenses that people can cover with the ABLE account? Yeah, please. That'd be good. All right. So, by the way, let's 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 back up a hair. Five twenty nine account. It's a college savings plan. A lot of people uh, like to think of it. It's like a four hundred one k for college savings. Whatever. Uh, so that is that, and you can use that money tax free for tuition. Uh, you know, uh, books, books. Yeah. You know those sorts of things. A five twenty nine able account can be used for uh, the following: basic living expenses, health and wellness, mm-hmm. housing, financial management, transportation education, assistive technology, and legal fees. Mm -hmm. So Dame, to say this casts a wider net might be the uh, understatement uh, of the world because yeah that's a much wider net it's wide well i don't want to say wide open but it's it's big there's a not not a a small amount of things that a 529 able account can be uh used for the interesting part is the 529 we keep saying 529 able which you can call that it's it's created in section 529a of the internal revenue code so it's a 529a just like you have a 401k There's also a 401A and a 403B. Mm-hmm. No one cares. This is a 529A. Dane, what are some of these limitations or things that people need to know? Sure. So there is a maximum balance that you can carry inside of a 529A, and that's going to be determined on a state-by-state basis. So you need to be aware of that. Now, 
the maximum amount is going to be probably around you know, somewhere between three and four hundred thousand dollars, depending on the state you live on. So it's it's a fairly sizable balance. However, there's also a provision in there that once the account threshold crosses, it's right around $100,000 now, it starts to potentially reduce the amount of money that you get from uh, Social Security disability. So you need to keep that in mind. Absolutely. In fact, there are also other eligibility requirements. Uh, so let's go through those here for a second. So uh, again, we're talking, if you just joining us, uh, able accounts. It's sort of like a 529, but it extends to, to to folks that are dealing with just something a little bit different, answering Vince's question. Vince lives in Indiana, so I'm actually reading uh, information from Indiana's able account, which is called Investable. Invest, get it? Invest able? Uh, yeah, I get that. I, it's clever. Yeah. Uh, okay, so your disability has to have been present before the age of 26. And one of the following things, Dame, needs to be true as well. First, uh, you are eligible for SSI or SSDI because of a disability. You, uh, B, you experience blindness as determined by the Social Security Act. Or who knew that, by the way, that the Social Security Act made d- determinations on blindness? Who knew? Someone, not us. And then C, you have a similarly severe disability with a written diagnosis from a licensed physician. I think the licensed part's the important part there. Indeed. Uh, that can be produced if requested. Uh, you must also self-certify that you have one of the following. There's some rules here, yeah, right? Sure. You also must self-certify that you uh, blind you uh, you have one of the following: blindness, again, as defined by the Social Security Act. Who knew? Uh, a medically determinable physical or mental impairment with marked severed uh, function, or that marked severed. What is that? That's got to be a, a typo. I think that's what that is. Function limitation that has lasted or is expected to last at least 12 continuous months or result in your passing. Finally, you must have a written disability-related diagnosis signed by a physician. The whole point of this is to say, look, let's say that you don't have a disability. Your parents or guardians can fund a college education with tax-deferred dollars that help with your development. If there are developmental disabilities and you have a, a child, a person younger than 26 years old, that is going to have some lifelong needs, this is an opportunity to use a very similar part of the tax code to provide to that person, which makes a lot of sense, Dame. Oh, yeah. And one additional thought to that, uh, you have to recertify every year. Okay. So it's good to know that it's just, uh, I can't imagine it's a too involved process other than just making sure that you're still able to use the account. Yeah, it's interesting. There's different, you know, you're investing within this account too. So, I mean, oh, there, yes. there can be uh, risks according to your risk tolerance. You've, of course, never wanted to invest outside of your risk tolerance, but those are options within the plan. Um, I encourage anyone who is trying to provide care and financial support for a younger person, someone as defined by being 26 or younger, to check out these ABLE accounts. Hopefully an attorney or a financial advisor or an accountant or someone has talked to you about this. Dame, I'll say when I was a financial advisor years ago, of course, before I was kicked out because of the Ponzi scheme, I, (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, You know, I had a couple cases that were special needs uh, children cases and it's such a unique space that is has its own challenges and own tools. And inevitably, I remember with one, I was in comp- someone was interviewing me and someone who deals with special needs uh, children, uh, financial needs all the time. I was just like, just go with them. Oh yeah, 
just go with them. Yeah, they know what they're doing. I I met an advisor from California whose entire business was around special needs families, and he just did an amazing job for the for those folks. And it's so niche, and there's so many ins and outs that if if you know this stuff, man, you are providing a great service for these families. And there is no shame in seeking somebody out that specializes in this. You know, I think the other side of this too is. I think we all know very personal stories of acquaintances or family friends or family for that matter, in which, you know, someone was born in the fifties or sixties or seventies for that matter. And they're dealing with a special needs situation. And these sorts of tools weren't available no. then in the, in the strain and the stress, both financially and uh, mentally and or spiritually for that matter. Um, and I love this. I, I love, this is a very forward thinking tool and product I'm thankful for it. Who knew the tax code could be so compassionate? Huh. And who knew the Social Security Act determined what was blind? Uh, who said that? Did you know that? No. I really don't. I did, didn't know that either. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to take a break and uh, hose off. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to take a break. Coming back, you're <laughs> shaking your head at me. You know, I'll be honest. I've seen that look a lot. What does it mean? <laughs> I'll tell you off air. Okay. Uh, Damien Dunn in studio, as almost always. We might be doing some remote stuff. So we're going to be doing this over the Ooh. air. We're going to test out sound quality. New studios coming uh, next week, actually, next week's show. So all that's next. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the Pete the Planner Show. Back on the Pete the Planner show. We're all dried off. Mm, towels. Towels. All right. Hey, uh, I'm Peter. I'm, I'm Damien. Oh, I was just going to introduce myself. Dear Pete, actually it says, hi, Pete. I work for the state. Oh, if you're just joining us, this is the show where you just ask questions and we answer. Hi, Pete. I work for the state government that will provide a pension for life. Assuming the state government's still a government. I don't know what that means. Sorry. Uh, he, this person's going to retire in four years. Uh, and I will take distributions for my pre-taxed 457B plan, deferred compensation, where I have $430,000 to delay taking Social Security. Uh, my question is that I was told that when I retire, I can use the distributions to contribute to a Roth IRA up to the contribution limit, which is currently $7,000 for a person of my age. And this would be considered ordinary income. Is the plan representative correct? I tried researching on the web, and information is very vague regarding ordinary income and earned income. Is there a difference? Thanks for your help. Marge. Yeah. But it's spelled, it doesn't matter. Dame, do you know the answer to this? I do. What is it? Oh, I just thought you were asking. No, I want to know if you know the answer. I do. Uh, Can you tell me the answer? Yeah, the answer is no, that's not correct. There is a difference between ordinary income and earned income. As it relates to the ability to contribute to a Roth IRA? It does. Or a traditional IRA, for that matter, right? Yeah, and especially in a situation where you're taking distributions from an account, Yeah, the IRS says that that's no bueno, and they will not allow uh, you to take those distributions and then put them back into a Roth account. Every 300th time that you and I have a chance to talk, I learn something. Well, that's not bad, I guess. No, I, no, I, 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 got I literally did. in this year. I, this is one of those rules that maybe at one point in time I knew, but I've since forgotten. Yeah. 
Interesting. Okay, so explain the difference, if you can, between ordinary and earned income. Like, ordinary would be this distribution. Yeah, so the tax rate's going to be the same on, right. on either, but it's how it's earned or how, it's, um, how, how you come by the money. And so a distribution from these types of accounts is not considered earned income, and it, it, that's the type of income you need to be able to contribute to a retirement account. You know, this begs the question that we get a lot in some form of what's better, a Roth product or a traditional product. And a lot of times we point people to Roth products mm -hmm. because of the tax-free nature at withdrawal. You, Of course, with a Roth product, you pay tax now as it is earned, the income is earned, and you make a deposit into these accounts. The uh, earnings are tax-deferred. I mean, you don't have to pay tax on it, but the reality is they're not even tax deferred. They're, they're going to be tax free at retirement. Uh, traditional is different because you end up uh, earning the income now. You would make a deposit, but then you're able to deduct that amount of income from uh, equal to the deposit from your uh, income tax obligations. It grows tax deferred. And then at retirement, when you take a distribution on that, you pay the current tax rate for that income at the time. And Dame, again, we point people to Roth products all the time in that regard. There's sort of a weird hidden th theory here that sometimes people get wrong because for some reason, people assume tax rates are going to be through the roof when they retire or they're going to be making a ton of more money than they are now and when they retire, which would lead them to want to deal with the Roth now. But the reality is that may not be true. Yeah, if you think about um, maybe even the people that you know, uh, you talk, you, you hear people say, well, you know, I'm, I'm living on a little bit of a budget now. I'm not making quite as much money as I, I thought you were going to say I'm living on a prayer. I, you know, I might be living. That's what I thought you were going to say, but you really? didn't, you were kept going. And uh, I, no, I wasn't. Living on a prayer. Wasn't even a consideration. Mm. Sorry. You Bon Jovi fan? Just the popular stuff, I guess. I, I mm. mean, and that's, I mean, I don't have a poster on my wall. Okay. I'm sorry, you were saying something about someone's financial life? Yeah, I was actually just thinking now, do you know that John Bon Jovi files a, uh, a farming tax return each year too? Oh, that better not be like a one-liner thing I know. You better know something about this if you're going to bring it up. What What now? Yeah, he's yeah, he, uh, in one of his properties, and it's like a, a, a pretty big estate. He files a, far, a farming return because he grows some tiny little crop somewhere. And he What's gets he a, growing? Like hemp. I am not going to make that judgment. I don't know. Probably grapes for his own private wine would be my guess. I have no idea. I don't like how you said that because it seemed like people who drink wine have a certain reputation. Well, do they? I don't know. You have a family winery. No, it's barely a family winery. Wait, are they barely family or it's barely a winery? It's barely, whatever. Let's move, <laughs> let's move on. Let's move on. Wow, who knew? John Bon Jovi facts. We yeah. can call that episode. Uh, anyway, well, so... So people are not necessarily going to have a higher income tax rate in retirement because, A, we don't necessarily know that you're going to have more earned income at that point in time. And number two, um, who knows what the tax rates are going to be? Exactly. And we're we total speculation on this, but I don't think the tax rates are probably going to be higher for most Americans when they retire than when they're working. WWJBVD. God bless you. I, I, what was that? What would John Bon Jovi do? <laughs> oh, I got you. You totally bit. I'm sorry. Guys, we're doing a professional radio show. Somewhat. Do you ever Allegedly. think we're in the middle of the show, you're like, what have I signed up for? How I, often? 
like once a segment. Yeah. Yeah. Why does everyone just assume, and maybe it's a fair assumption, why does everyone assume that our tax rates are just going to keep going up and up and up and up? Well, if you look at the state of the, the finances of the country, you figure they're going to have to try and raise money somehow. And depending on which side of the aisle you sit on most frequently, you figure that's either going to happen one of two ways. If you're on the one side, reduce tax rates, you're going to raise more revenue because people will make more money, earn more income, and there'll be more money coming in. The other side of the aisle is going to say, eh, whatever, we're just going to raise rates and we're going to take more of what you got now. And even more if... if uh, if you're lucky enough to make more income. So so you know what I'm about to say. Can we talk about this, what you just said, without it turning too political? I hope so. I really don't want it to be political. Okay, let's say you sit on the left side of the aisle and you b- believe fun, you know, somewhere within your, yeah. your blood that uh, the government should provide a certain set of services and that you're willing to part with your tax dollars to fund those services. So far, is what I said fair? I, that feels yeah. fair. Yeah. Right? Sure. Um, Good, bad, or otherwise, that's how you feel. Then in, in that point, you may have to acknowledge to deal with more complex problems than theoretically you would need taxes to go up. Or, of course, the argument, too, is that it's not just independent or individuals paying taxes, that how corporations are taxed would, mm-hmm. would help flip the bill there. Uh, is it foot the bill or flip the bill? I think it's foot. foot no, one, no one cares. Um, now, if you're on the right side of the aisle... And you believe that government should stay out mm-hmm. of these services, then theoretically tax rates would go down. But you're worried that the other side of the aisle would be put in charge and then drive tax rates up. So exactly. do you think, Damien, here's where I'm getting to a point here, believe it or not, with a minute left. Do you think, based on what you believe politically, that should affect whether you put money into a Roth IRA or not? Should it? I don't know. Does it? Absolutely. Right. Especially if, let's say, you're part of whatever it's considered the popular party at the time in whatever direction the country is going, you have to take that into consideration. Yeah. I, I think it's just reasonable tax planning going forward is to look at the direction, look at the needs, and look at, well, gosh, what, what's going to happen? I love when we dance around politics and then inevitably someone's going to send it. Someone feels very passionate about what we just talked about. I don't feel that passionate about it. I just, I think it's interesting. Uh, and I don't think any, either side's necessarily wrong because I'm a centrist. He's centrist. I am. I, I, but someone is very angry right now and it's crafting an email or a carrier pigeon. And they're probably angry for more than one reason. They are a big John Bon Jovi fan and they didn't like your swipes at his crops. All right, we got to take a break. Coming up after the break, more of this. I'm Pete the Planner. This is the show. Back on the Pete the Planner show. Dame, it turns out you were right. Uh, both John Bon Jovi and the boss. Bruce Springsteen file farmers tax returns in New Jersey? Yeah, farming returns, yeah. Did you know about that? I mean, yeah. did you know about farming returns? Yeah, my my wife uh, is a certified public accountant, and when she uh, took all of her tests, her, her one portion of the exam turned out to be a farming return, and that was what she was tasked with completing, which is talking about totally, totally unfair, but... She uh, she passed. So so John Bon Jovi uh, apparently is living on a square of farmland. Nice. That's that's that was. Not... And uh, but they got he got in trouble. He and Bruce Springsteen. 
Yeah, it is because uh, the laws changed in in New Jersey, and so they were. This is a fairly common thing, apparently, and I would assume it's not just New Jersey that that deals with things like this. But people may have been uh, stretching the uh, uh, the legality of farming no. operations. Celebrities Possibly? stretching tax law. Was Wesley Snipes? Did he have a farm too? No. No. I don't think he was growing anything. Okay. Uh, dear Pete. My husband and I have been gifting our daughter and her husband $10,000 per year for the last several years around the holidays. Merry Christmas. It's become a bit of a family tradition. <laughs> What's well, a nice family tradition? We eat chili willies around the holidays in our house. I have no idea what that is. They're uh, ice cream treats on a stick that are in the shape of a penguin. Mm. And my dad... Had them for us when we were kids, and now so we eat all eat chili willies. You buy them at the store? Yeah, they're in the frozen ice cream section. Sometimes they can be Christmas trees or Santa hats. Sometimes they're a penguin. Seasonal? Oh, very seasonal. Just at the holidays. I'll have to uh, keep my eye out for those this, this winter. We enjoy being able to provide them a little extra money, and they enjoy receiving it. They use the money for vacations and for their SUV payments, even though they don't have much money saved. Unfortunately, our financial situation has changed and my husband no longer feels like we can afford to gift them the money. We hinted this to our daughter and she's quite upset. The idea of ruining their financial plans because of our misfortune bothers me and I want to find a way to still pay them. Am I being foolish? My husband told me I should write you and ask BT in Boston. <laughs> um, so by the way, uh, I wrote about this in uh, my USA Today column last week. I saw it's in there. Whew, so much there. What do you think, buddy? Should we just answer the question? Uh, if, you, if, you, if you wanted to start there and then work backwards, yeah, go ahead. Um, yeah, they should absolutely not feel guilty about stopping payment to their kids. Absolutely right. So... You know, I had to write 750 words about this, so I took a few liberties here and there to, to make it interesting. And not that this is not interesting. This is amazingly interesting. It's a great question. I tend to find uh, that it's quite easy for a family with money, so much money that they're willing to just gift $10,000 mm -hmm. to the generation below them, that it's really easy to create dependence where dependence doesn't need to exist anymore. Sure. You know, oh, we're doing. Your father and I are doing well. Here's ten thousand dollars. That's going to affect most people in a negative way, especially if that person doesn't have the financial stability that they need and isn't using that gift to create stability. Yeah, it can get out of control really quick if um, if the financial lifestyle of the person you're gifting the child that you're gifting it to is already somewhat tenuous. You're not patching the situation. You're probably making it worse. The fact that they told her that they don't think they're going to be able to do it this year and she re reacted negatively, whether she did or they perceived it that way. Sure. Let's not dismiss that. That's, that's true. Um, but that should be some indication of, of like, uh-oh, we may have stepped in it. Yeah. The problem isn't taking the money away. But by the way, they're not taking money away. They're just not giving it. Right. The problem was arguably giving it in the first place. Sure. Yeah. I, well, let me ask you this. Please do. If they had, if, if, if submit writer, it in writing, submit your question in writing. Okay. Hold on. No, go ahead. I don't have time for that. Oh, sorry. Uh, if 
the writer had said we had been contributing um, $10,000 a year to our grandkids' 529 accounts. This yeah, has different. a completely different conversation. It does. So they're enhancing a lifestyle that is currently not stable. Uh, so I, I kept thinking about this. These people, uh, the daughters, the daughter and her husband, um, they want the money, mm -hmm. but they don't need it. But, I mean, they, they need to create stability, but they don't need it for vacation. And you know what I mean? Maybe they, they need, you know, they want it, but what they're doing with it isn't based on need. It's based on desire. But the mom now needs the money, but somehow doesn't want it, is willing to give it away. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I think the kids have worked themselves into a point where they now need the money. They, they've become dependent on that extra $10,000 of income per year. Now, could they potentially cut some things out and reduce the dependency on that money? Well, maybe. I don't know. I could I mean, Asking somebody to cut $10,000 out of their, their spending is going to be pretty challenging. Let me play devil's advocate for a second. Let's, I'm going to just create a wild scenario here. Okay. Um, the daughter is a social worker. Her husband is a stay-at-home parent. Okay. They make... $37,000 a year. Yep. They don't have savings because of that. Sure. They don't have stability because of what I just said. Now, the husband's staying at home, so they don't have daycare costs. If this $10,000 gift goes to them and they use it to buy an SUV, which sounds fancy, but who knows what it is? It could be an 88 Ford Explorer sure. for all that matter. I don't know if Explorers were made in 1988, so that may have just become an issue. You get the point. Let's say it does that, and the vacation is just a stress relief so that the family can go to a local water park. I, I don't know. I'm just taking, let's take the complete opposite angle there. I still don't think the parents should continue to contribute um, to them if they are in a rough situation, but I guess it doesn't make the contributions themselves that bad when they were possible. Sure. I, and I totally agree. And by the way, I want to make sure that I'm. I'm being clear, and I, I'm sure you feel the same way. Two people talking about this that are completely dissociated from the decision is one thing. Yeah, but, you and I. But, but being the person that actually has to say no to their children who they've, they've helped along the way and still continue to want to help, and for you know, whatever reason they can't. In this case, it's that they can't afford to do it. If it were uh, something else and the kid has uh, been somewhat irresponsible with the money, that, that's another situation too. But not being able to give that person money and wanting to is a very uncomfortable place to be. And I don't want to short side that. So I can empathize with this person totally in this situation. So um, knowing the right answer and being able to pull off the right answer are sometimes two different things, especially in situations like this. Yeah, it, it's tough. I, I, I like to sometimes make tough guy comments like, this is why family yeah. shouldn't intertwine themselves financially. But you never know if these people jumped in and saved the day. Yeah. And then it became, they called it a tradition to take the burden of embarrassment or whatever off of their daughter. By the way, I don't think that's the case. Yeah. I think this hypothetical that you and I are painting is out of courtesy. I think it sounds like an enable, a enablement situation. I wonder if uh, if you found that they were to find themselves in this position, you know, the fortunes change in a couple of years and they're able to start re-gifting money. If you just preface everything with saying, this may not happen next year, or this, this, is, uh, this could be a one-time thing, and every year you just say, 
don't get used to it. And you make sure you use this for a good reason going forward. I wonder if you're upfront and very clear about this, if, if that changes the relationship uh, with not only the, the parent and the child, but the, the child and the money that they are gifted. This makes me want to do a segment. We don't have time right now because we only have like 30 seconds left. This makes me want to do a segment on, is there anything wrong with finding, when, when you found money that you're not used to having and you don't have stability, is there anything wrong with not saving it and use it, using it to create some relief in the form of a vacation or reliable transportation? That's worth exploring yeah, at some point. I think so. All right, coming up after the break, I think it's the biggest waste of money of the week. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Biggest waste of money of the week and some financial current events. We got to get a John Bon Jovi item in here in the biggest waste of money of the week. Let's see what we can do. I mean, there's got to be plenty, right? Regulators mount up. He's in the movie with the... Okay. Back on the Pete the Planner show. This week's biggest waste of money of the week is... I've got one, and, and you apparently have one, too. I do. Uh, do you want to go first or second? Um, yeah, I'll go second. All right. The mineral focus oil. Inspire your mind and alert your body with mineral CBD for focus formula. Focus is a one-to-one cannabinoid uh, to terpene blend with with dense amounts of CBD and a custom terpene blend that features concentrated amounts of alpha-pinene to inspire alertness and improve mood. Mineral creates synergistic relationships between Colorado-grown cannabinoids and terpenes <laughs> for targeted benefits. Focuses a terpene forward formula to reduce inflammation, improve mood, and increase energy levels. So this is a little dropper, Dame. I, I don't. Oh, I can see the flowing ounces. Hold on, everybody. One ounce. One ounce of focus oil is ninety dollars. Damn, I don't know anything about the CBD movement. A lot of people seem to be into it and whatever. I mean, that, it's, it feels snake oilish at times. It's like, oh, it's like apple cider vinegar. It helps with your warts on your feet. And it, I don't know. Yeah, I've got a, I have an old guy perspective on it, clearly. And I, I wonder how much of it is um, a placebo effect. Sure. Uh, by the way, we're speculating. Yeah, I, I've I've never really had any direct um, experience with CBD stuff, so I, I've got some people that swear by it that, yeah. that I know, and I actually highly respect their opinions. But again, I I don't know. I've never looked into the medical research. I, I don't. Yeah, whatever. What's your biggest waste of money of the week, Dave? Uh, I don't have a flowery written description like you had there that just yeah. rolled off the tongue, but <laughs> uh, I do have on eBay. A life-size John Bon Jovi movie prop, wax statue, realistic display figurine, one-to-one size ratio. So this is life-size ratio. Now, I am going to cover the price and show you the picture, and you can judge based on the picture how much you think this okay. is going to cost. Visual stuff always works on the I radio. know, I know, but bear with me. I'm going to okay. try and convince Pete to link this to... Our, uh, our posting on the when well, we post this up on the the web page. Ready? Here okay, we go. Yeah. What in the world? That doesn't look like what? Remember, it's realistic. Okay, guys. It, it, like think Mag, Madame Tussaud, but it looks more like um, 
uh, Joe Pesci and My Cousin Vinny is what yeah. it looks more like yeah, than John absolutely. Bon Jovi. It's got some chest hair yeah. and a leather vest. Okay, so I'm supposed to guess how much that is. How much would you pay for that realistic John Bon Jovi wax statue? Is it the current bid or is it a buy now? Buy it now. <sighs> Man, I, mean, I wish you guys could see this. I mean, it's disturbing. I'm going to have nightmares. Hmm. I'm going to go $10,000. No, $15,900 for a wax figurine that does not look like John Bon Jovi in pretty much any way, shape, or form. The, he has arms. He does have arms. And legs. He's got some leather on, which I guess he probably wore at some point. Wow. Do you think they got the, the sculptor made it themselves, or did they farm it out? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Farm it out. <laughs> you went right by that. Yeah, I did. You went right by that. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Country Time Lemonade offers to pay fines for kids operating unlicensed lemonade stands. Uh, the Lemonade Mix Company, Country Time, says it's stepping in to help when different places in uh, you know, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Nevada, North Dakota, New a bunch of states face legal troubles. When, when kids open lemonade stands in these states, these states want to bust those kids' chops and fine them because apparently they don't like entrepreneurship. And so uh, the Country Time Legal Aid Fund is stepping in to pay those fines. Uh, so, by the way, here are the states that it is illegal to have a uh, lemonade stand. Illinois. Rhode Island. Vermont. Louisiana. Missouri. Nebraska. New York. North Dakota. Nevada. Connecticut. Colorado. And California. Can you imagine that? I mean, there's, some, there's nothing more beautiful Hey, your computer's on your cord there. It's making it buzz. See that? See that, Dave? Sorry. So that audio trouble that you just experienced, dear listener, that was because of Damien's amateur computer placement. Hey, I was still paying attention to the beauty of John Bon Jovi's wax statue. You were just mesmerized. But don't you think lemonades, there's nothing purer than a lemonade stand for a kid. It must be all those big lemonade kickbacks and, and uh, contributions to political campaigns. That's the only thing I can think of. Good time for a country. Good job for a country time. Uh, lemonade. Uh, Dame, do you want to know the list of the most and least independent states uh, as it comes to uh, financial independence? Yeah, I do. All right. Most independent states. Is this how it's based on financial independence? Is that the thing? Uh, what does it mean for a whole population to be independent in the modern sense of the word? world? Yeah, there it is. Most independent state is Utah. Hmm. Um. Utah is number one, Nebraska is number two, Massachusetts, which I've just recently have been able to say without uh, jarbling the words. It's number three? Yeah. Minnesota, Colorado, Wisconsin, South Dakota, Virginia, Hawaii, and Kansas are the top 10 most independent states. Let's find out what this means. Uh, in the report, Wallet Hub's data team addressed the question by comparing the 50 states based on five sources of dependency, consumer finances, the government, the job market, international trade, and personal vices. Then they broke it down into these categories into 39 key indicators of independence in order to determine which state are the most self-sustaining. All right, so I, we got to look at the bottom 10, right? Yeah, I think you have to. Uh, number 50 on the list. Do you want to take a stab? No. Why, you don't insult anybody? Yes. <laughs> Kentucky is 50th on the list. Really? Which would have been the top two that I would have guessed. 
Uh, Alaska is 49th. Then Mississippi. Least independent is yeah. Alaska? Yeah. Louisiana. Financial independence, dude. Like, uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. But, okay. You think Alaskans are just rolling in you know, black gold up there? Yeah. Like a small part of their population, the rest are out catching crabs and whatnot. Yeah, but they get, they get, credit, they get money back from the state government every year. Mississippi's 48th, Louisiana's 47th, then South Carolina, Alabama, which I would have had on that list, West Virginia, then Indiana. So, Dame, uh, 43rd, Indiana. Good times. We did it. We're 43. You see the news last week that President Trump uh, had an executive order to push for disclosure of secret health prices. And, Dame, I don't know how we always talk about politics on the show when we try not to. Uh, do you notice that no one's complaining about that? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. I think sometimes, no matter how you affiliate yourself politically, and I'm not saying this to Dame, I'm saying this to everybody, if a side that you don't care for does a great thing, now what we do, instead of saying, thank you for doing that, we just don't criticize it. But it's a brilliant thing to make uh, the secret healthcare prices go away. It's ridiculous, and it affects every single one of us. All of us. I can't tell you how frustrating it can be to uh, get a hospital bill that you know you are just getting charged over way over what you should be and that everybody else is paying a less a, a smaller amount well, i'm going to ask a really strange and critical question here uh, why had this not done, been done previously <laughs> is it because the, i mean this has been a problem for at least 20 years sure is this because it was not a priority for other uh, leaders of our nation or is it because that they were funded by organizations that benefit from this? Like, you tell me. The cynical side of me says it has to do with money going into the, the politicians' uh, election funds. There's no other reason that, that it would be. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So, you know, the idea that you can get something over-the-counter, over-the-counter in Canada for like five bucks, and it's like $1,200 here, and it's a prescription... Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'm, I know I'm the last of the party of complaining about medical prices, but at least that will start to change. I don't know when all this goes into effect and if it will have an impact, but in theory, it makes a tremendous amount of sense. Yeah, it, it won't go into effect soon enough as far as I'm concerned, but the sooner we can have some transparency on this, the, the sooner everybody's going to benefit. Damn, that's all we have time for this week on the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening, everyone. I'm sending you good vibes because good vibes are all that's in the budget. I'm Pete the Planner, and this is the Pete the Planner Show. And